Lillard, you could see he was sizing it up from the moment he crossed half court. He, he knew, knew exactly, exactly what he was going to do. Lillard dribbling at the center jump circle against Paul George. Deep three. And in! Lillard with zeros on the clock has won it! He's won it! He's won it! That one had to be close to 40 feet. The Lillard King! What a game! <laughs> You're kind of kidding me, man. I'm still catching my breath. What's up? Welcome in. According to sources right here, A2S Network, I am your guy at SD2 Mics here with my cohorts, my partners in crime, my boy Christopher Kaysen at C4 Dunk, and my boy Brian Crawford. You just changed your tag on Twitter. Welcome back, bro. <laughs> For sure. I'm back in the game. All right. And once again, did you change it on Instagram as well? No, no, no. Still the same on Still Instagram. Still Mr. Crawford D Instagram. Follow us. You can go listen to all eight episodes, all seven episodes previously recorded. Dope content that we give you right here talking NBA basketball and culture. You can go to Spotify. You can go to iTunes. You can go to SoundCloud. Go right there, type in A2S Network or According to Sources, and you'll pull up all of that great content and listen to it. Leave feedback. Let us know what you think of the podcast. So we're about to hop into it. First round of the NBA playoffs, a lot of people thought it has gone by without much fanfare. But when we look at this and we look at the teams that will be facing off in the second round and advancing to the second round of the playoffs, is there anyone that has stood out to say, man, you know what? They looked a little bit different than I thought they would in the playoffs. Mm, different? I don't know if I've seen anybody that really looked different. I mean, I think uh, I think Dame. I mean, if I had to pick somebody, I'd probably go with Dame. You know, just simply because of how they went out last year. Um, you know, I think he wanted to kind of, you know, avenge that somewhat, you know, even though it wasn't, you know, against the same team, it was, you know, it was still a similar situation where, you know, he didn't want to go out in the first round and he was a little bit motivated by Russell Westbrook. So I thought he elevated his play. Um, and probably if I had to, not necessarily a player, but a team, you know, I think, I think the Clippers, you know, winning two games against Golden State, something nobody thought, you know, they could do is pretty impressive too. So those would probably be like, you know, Dane would be my player and then like the Clippers would probably be my team that would pick that. That really surprised me so far. Yeah, I mean, um, just piggyback off that, the Clippers probably are the most surprising to me because I did think that they would provide probably a necessary wake-up call for Golden State, not, you know, two games in. I mean, and then, you know, game what four was that game yeah game game yet last night I mean just they completely outplayed them like from start to finish which I didn't think would happen I mean coming back from what 31 32 that's almost like an albatross like you kind of have to lose focus there and I think Golden State you know needed to get hit in the mouth I mean especially when you I think they were looking ahead too much against this team and you're playing against a group of guys that basically everything is on the line each night so those are dangerous teams to you know mess around with player um now plus they give us you know one of the greatest nba groups whenever they win 
Mm-hmm. And you see all three of those guys show up to the press conference. They literally oh, look yeah. like the Migos, the way exactly. they dress, the yeah. way they act. And it's a fun team to watch. Have we gotten away? Because I know there are a lot of people that have been critical of one Doc Rivers, mm-hmm. especially once Tom Thibodeau, Thibodeau stepped away from the Boston Celtics situation to coach the Bulls. Mm-hmm. What credit do you give to Doc Rivers for how this team has you know, played all year and how they played in this series against Golden State? Uh, most of it. I mean, a lot of it comes from just the background those guys have. They all kind of have that um, misfit, miscast, nobody wanted us, you know, type of attitude and that bonds, you know, teams. I mean, but, you know, I think Doc has been a little bit underrated as a coach just over the last uh, couple of years just because of the struggles the Clippers have had, like advancing far in the playoffs when they did have uh, Chris Paul DeAndre and Blake and you know just having that uh the responsibilities you know what uh what's that position um just having that dual that dual position I yeah. think a lot combo of, guard type. yeah, yeah. I, I believe like a lot of what he did on the coaching aspect was lost when you know he fell in love with certain players and bringing them back to the Clippers I think there was Turk glue was there you know, for some for a stretch, uh, Glenn Davis. So, I mean, and then, you know, having brought Austin Rivers back, I think a lot of what he does from a coaching aspect was kind of tarnished a little bit just from, like, the executive end. But, I mean, and looking at the job he's done throughout this season, especially when they traded, you know, their best player, Tobias, and, you know, it was expected that, okay, you know, securing, you know, a good draft pick and, they had no, none of that. I mean, it's a team that's still Most people expected hard. them to fall back exactly. into the draft lottery after yeah, they made so, the trade, yeah. I mean, when you look at just the landscape of coaches, we always talk about pop first. I mean, and then you start throwing out the younger guys like Brad Stevenson, um, Quinn Snyder. I was like, I don't know why Doc is not mentioned, at least, you know, as one of the top three best coaches in the league. At all. Steve Kerr is obviously up there just with what they've done. But, I mean, Doc is easily in, like, the top four, top three. Yeah, I would agree with that. So getting back to, you said, the player you were about to get into. No, Yeah. In terms of surprise, nobody really, like, surprised me. Um, I mean, I can't even say Dame because, like, I've been watching this guy for years. We've and, seen this coming. Yeah. And, I mean, the one thing you you don't want to light a fire – under like a silent killer. So, you know, with all the the back and forth, I mean, Westbrook, I thought he would have known, but like Dame has killed the Thunder like various times. And on this stage, the last thing you want to do is light a fire under a guy like that. So I wasn't too surprised by that at all. A 37 sidestep three-pointer to clinch the series, a little surprised by that. Like that is, I've never seen like a more disrespectful <laughs> like walk off uh, and the shot. wave goodbye. Yeah, and the wave goodbye. The like, wave goodbye. Complete... You know what the funniest thing? If you watch the rear view of that game winning shot, fellas, watch his brother because you see his brother run on the court mm-hmm. and they go forehead to forehead. Mm-hmm. His brother was holding a nice glass of Hennessy oh, yeah. on the sideline. Sm- sat it down smooth. Can't spill it. Can't spill the Henny. Can't spill, can't Couldn't spin the Henny. Especially core side. Absolutely. Sat it down smooth yeah, before crazy, he ran man, out the to celebrate. Part, watching that slow motion is like, 
you can see Paul George's face like like this is this dude knows four seconds. He took like, a look up at the yeah. At the clock. He's like it's yeah. four seconds. Like when is this dude gonna make his right. move? And then I guess he, you know, just studying Dame. You know that rhythm dribble and that side step. He by the time he could react to it, mm-hmm. it was too late. I mean, but no player like really has surprised me too much. Um, you know, so far this postseason. What like, what series intrigues you guys the most moving forward into this next round? Ah, uh, series that intrigues me the most. Hmm. I don't know. That's a good one. Um. I don't know, man. Like Boston, they would play who they got? Toronto. Mm-hmm. Man. Ooh, that's gonna be a good one. <laughs> that's a tough one because. You know, Boston is like they, you know, they kind of like they hit their stride. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they, they play a really good ball right now. Um, and Toronto is just, I mean, they had an easy first round series. I mean, you know, no disrespect to Orlando. I mean, but that, you know, they weren't going to push them. Um, you know, I think, I think this would be a better matchup. So probably this particular series I'm, I'm interested in most just because, you know, just the Kyrie and the whole, you know, uh, Kawhi dynamic, you know, do they stay with their respective teams? Oh, like, my bad. Pick another uh, team. Boston plays Milwaukee. Oh, Boston and yeah, Boston. Boston. My bad. Milwaukee. That's my bad. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Sean, make sure you cut that. <laughs> um, Boston and Milwaukee. Yeah, very intriguing. Now you got, you know, now you got, um, you know, you got Kyrie, you know, Kyrie, you got the Greek freak, basically, you know, who could potentially be the MVP right now. Um, he didn't look good in the one game, you know, in the last series. But I think, you know, I think now, you know, now we get into the second round and you're that much closer to the finals. And, you know, like I said, with him being potential MVP locked up, I think Boston and Milwaukee did a good one. I would probably gonna, I'm probably going to get an edge to Milwaukee. I give it to him at six. That's probably the most intriguing. Um, me, I have to – and I don't really – I hate overlooking – you know, teams that are especially still playing. But, I mean, that second-round matchup between Houston and Golden State, because I think the winner of that series uh, will decide who's going to be uh, the champion um, of this season. Um, Houston looks very dangerous. I mean, but that all comes down to them making shots. But... Outside of that, what I've been most impressed by is just some of the little things defensively uh, they've done, especially, you know, the first-round series against Utah, even though nobody really expected Utah to, you know, push them. I did see some things that I think could translate over to, you know, being able to help at least, you know, limit some of what um, Golden State does. And not having DeMarcus, I think, is going to be kind of critical in that series, you know, especially if I don't know how much you're going to be able to play Bogut against Capella in that series, especially when they do when Houston decides to go small. So, and another series, I would probably say that um, the Philly and Toronto series. I mean, there's a lot of things at play for both teams, and especially, you know, I think the one thing that's concerning is the health of how healthy is Joel Embiid because if he's limited at all in this series, I think, you know, Toronto can 
um, you know, dispatched them in six wow. easily. Yeah, I mean, I just think that Joel Embiid is that big of a difference maker. Um, is the key okay. to that that series the Ben Simmons Kawhi matchup? I don't. I don't. No, that's yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, I think it's Jimmy. Yeah, but on the other end, you think Kawhi would actually stick Ben? On the other end, to try and cut the head off of that transition game for the Philadelphia 76ers? No, nah, I mean, I think I think if Kawhi guards Ben Simmons, I, I mean, it's basically him, you know, resting on defense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because Ben Simmons is not really like – like if he's not playing downhill in the half court, you really got to worry about him. So, you know, if you you know if you put Kawhi Leonard on him, He's just chilling on defense, and, you know, and and he's saving all his all of his energy for the offensive end, and then that makes it hard on Jimmy. Yeah, definitely, and I think um, yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic because if Kawhi does go Ben, then you know who 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 guards Jimmy uh, Kyle? That wouldn't make too much sense. No, nah, it'd be Danny Green. It'd be Danny Green, yeah, but. I don't know. I mean, Dan, who guards, you know, Tobias. So, I mean, Philly does have, you know, some big wings. I think Toronto is just a little bit deeper than them on the bench. But I just think it's all going to come down to just the health of Joel Embiid. He's going to have a bigger body guarding him in this series with Marcus Gasol leaning up against him. So, you know, he's definitely going to be tested. So a lot is going to, you know, have to go right. Philly from a health standpoint, but it should be a very good I, series. How big? You know, and go ahead. Not cut you off, and you know, and I matchup wise, and I think you could put you could put Ben Simmons on. Um, oh man, no, actually you can't. Let me take that back because I was going to say you know you could put Ben Simmons on. You can't why, but now nah, he would get nah. cooked. Yeah, nah, get you don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, you definitely don't want to do that. Let me let me scratch that. <laughs> let me scratch that. And I mean the that way the way Siakam is playing, Siakam, he might yeah. get cooked by Siakam. Yeah, I mean, and that's yeah, Toronto but see, but see, if you put if you put Siakam on, um, you know, on Tobias, who hasn't been very good in the playoffs at all, you know, that's that's another win for Toronto there. You know what I'm saying? Because that's a night off for him too. Because Tobias, if the jumping out falling. He's not really doing too much, you know, and it and it's crazy how much his game has changed from, you know, the Clippers to Philly. But, you know, and you would think that a guy like that would be much more of an impact. And, you know, maybe this series would be different for him. But in the last series, I'm not convinced that, you know, he could do really anything. You know, if if they don't have such a bad first-round opponent, you know, Philly might be in trouble, like Chris said, just, just strictly based off the health of Embiid because, if he's not healthy, you're going to need those other guys to step up. And I hadn't seen Tobias do anything yet. Yeah, I don't see the knee of MB getting any better. Yeah. And the one thing that I saw that was affected was his rim protection, mm-hmm. especially later on in games. Early in the game, he's a little bit more spry. Later in games, seems like you can really go into his body yeah. and elevate over him. I saw Brooklyn do that in a couple of games later in those games. So it's going to be very interesting. The Boston-Milwaukee series yeah, is be. earmarked in my opinion, for seven games. And I've been on record on this podcast still having hope and believing because of Kyrie Irving and that Boston Celtics team. But I will say the one team that I watched every game, even though they weren't on any of the <laughs> national <laughs> national channels, had to go to NBA TV to find them, yeah. was the number one seed 
Milwaukee Bucks and um, just the cohesion they play with and the calm they play with. It's like Detroit went up and it was just like they just kept playing their game and they knew eventually, like a boxer, a bigger boxer, we're just going to walk you down. Mm-hmm. We're just going to keep walking through your punches and eventually we're going to get to you in the late rounds. And it seems like that's what they were able to do. And I could pretty much see them being able to do that a little bit with Boston because Boston has been so inconsistent. But the thing is, we go into these fourth quarters, and if the matchup is, okay, what Kyrie does in comparison to what Giannis does, then we could have a hell of a series on our hands. Yeah. Yeah, it could be one. Hey, man, let me say this, too. I think I got um, got Portland going to the finals. What? Not the finals. I'm sorry, the Western Conference. The Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Because I'm looking at this. I'm even looking at with this Cantor, like, even know, with Cantor being hurt. Yeah. Even with not Cantor, um Nurkic. No, Cantor separate, separated, separated, his separated his shoulder. His shoulder and just played Oh, I missed that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's gonna be tough. Yeah. That's he said he was gonna tough. play. He said he was gonna play. With a separated shoulder? Slightly separated shoulder, yeah. yep. Left shoulder. Oh, slightly he's good. Um <laughs> just slightly he's good. Yeah. Yeah, you good. You good. If you can get out there and play, you good. But, you but I mean, you know, going? even you know, Portland with a matchup against Denver, I like Portland against Denver, and I like them against the Spurs. Um, the Spurs, they've been just like the magical unicorn of the NBA for like the past twenty years. But you know what I'm saying? Like I, I think, I think Dame is dripping this year, man. And 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 I'm a big Dame fan, so I think I think Portland. Even with cancer being hurt, they can make it to the West Conference Finals this year. I don't know against who, though. Well, I think they can beat Denver. But Denver has shown me a lot. Yeah. Especially the last two games. Like, they figured out Mike Malone's done a great job. Whatever they figured out about San Antonio, which was let's stop sweating. Let Derek White keep shooting. Mm -hmm. If he thinks he's going to drop 30 every night, go ahead and shoot. And we're going to concentrate on taking L.A. out of this game and taking your post points out of this game and make you a strictly perimeter team, yeah. which is crazy because they were one of the top teams in three-point shooting all season long. But we know once you get to the playoffs, it's a totally yeah, it's different, different beast. And those shots, they don't start falling. And we saw that early on in the series with OKC in Portland. OKC couldn't buy a bucket from three. And the next thing you know, you know they struggled. Mm-hmm. So – um, you know what? I got it. Portland going to the Western Conference Finals because even if Cantor is hurt, I mean, who sticks if San Antonio can magically knock off Denver, then Jacopo won't be a problem. Okay. But but if they play Denver, if they got Denver, it's a little bit different with Jokic down there. And I think, well, who would have the home court? Who got the better record? Let's Denver's definitely Denver. got the home court. Oh man, that's yeah. gonna be tough. It's gonna, it's gonna be, be tough. tough. Those first two games. It's gonna be tough. Definitely gonna be tough. Dame, I believe, because Jamal Murray has been inconsistent in this series. Yeah, where he yeah. started to he, he started to come alive. Yeah, and then Gary Harris is like looks healthy. He so. does. He does. And Will, mean, Barton Will Barton finally yeah, Will came Barton, alive yes. on the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't trust either of them. You've always had a thing for Will Barton, bro. Like and and Gary Harris, both of them. Like you know, they they. 
from game to game, like they're like they're very different players. You know what I'm saying? Like one game they'll both kill, and you're like, oh man, they look great, and then the next game they disappear. And you know, in the playoffs it's all about consistency. And I could see those guys, you know, having a couple games, you know, maybe a game here and there. They that'll be staggered. It'll be great games, but they won't be timely enough to help them. And you know, I've seen them fold a lot. So I don't know, man. And you know, with them coming so close to like making the playoffs the last couple of years and making it this year, I don't know. Even when home court, it might be a little bit too much for them. And and I feel like Portland is a little bit hungrier. So I don't know. I'm riding with Dame this year, man. At least at the conference finals. All right, so that's our preview, second round surprises and what we think is going to take place and who we're pulling for. Um, I think Dame is definitely the darling of this year's NBA playoffs. I think everybody wants to pull for Dame if everybody's pulling for the Portland Trail Blazers. And it would be great for them to get to the Western Conference Finals to honor Paul Allen, the owner that had longtime owner that passed away. And if they made it to the finals, it, Rip City would definitely go crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, it will be the first time in how long? Since, what, 92? 92 when they met the Bulls, right? Yeah. Yeah. The last time they Ooh. had a chance was that game seven against the Lakers. Mm-hmm. That's right. The yeah. jailblazers never made it. Yeah. Let's go. Wow. Let's keep that vibe. Stay on the West Coast, man. This story, I knew something was coming down the line. Remember this when uh, we call him Unk, one, Magic Johnson, when he said this and his impromptu press conference i think this summer with that other star coming in whoever's going to bring him in i think this team is going to be in position to really contend for championships with the growth of the young players and so um she doesn't know i'm standing here because i know i would be crying like a, a baby in front of her even though i'm about to cry now um but it's the right thing to do right move to make and then that way he can stay in place, build, hopefully build the team, coach the team the right way. And um, also, all the what I didn't like is the backstabbing and the whispering. I, I, I don't like that. You know, I don't like um, a lot of things that went on that didn't have to go on. And so I hope that after tomorrow, the Lakers can head in the right direction, which we are. News broke on FS1. Colin Cowherd had on Rick Buecher, and uh, Rick Buecher had this to say about what Magic Johnson had to say about the backbiting that was going on in the Lakers organization. My understanding is is that there were some emails that were exchanged between Rob and Jeannie. Jeannie Buss and Rob Palenka. Yes, uh, about Magic and about what Magic was and wasn't doing. They were critical emails, and somehow, some way. Uh, Jeannie, from what I understand, was CCing or blind CCing magic on everything. That was sort of protocol, standard issue. Somehow the exchange between Rob and Jeannie ended up on that string of the blind CCs that were going to magic. So magic now is seeing emails from Rob to Jeannie that were critical of what he was doing. And maybe most important in all this is that there was no indication that Jeannie was backing Rob up in terms of either going to Magic and letting him know that this was going on or going back at Rob and you know defending Magic. That was not happening. And so when he talked about the backstabbing, to me, my understanding is that's what started it. And the fact that Jeannie 
waved goodbye and said, you know, thank you for all that you did was that she didn't necessarily disagree with what Rob was saying. So according to Rick Buecher and the story on SI.com, Lakers owner Jeannie Buss and general manager Rob Palenka mistakenly copied Magic Johnson in emails that were critical of the team's since-departed president of basketball operations. Johnson abruptly stepped down after reading these emails that he was CC'd in on accidentally. And in these emails, I guess what upset Magic so much is that she wasn't sticking up for him. Mm -hmm. And she did not alert him to the things that Rob was saying. And we know he didn't tell her that he was about to step down. And I guess she felt a certain way because she just sent out a nice little message and said, uh, yeah, thanks for everything you've done. I'm going to let you guys go. When I watched Magic Johnson do this press conference, I knew once he started talking about the backbiting, it reminded me of, like, my grandfather, one of my uncles. And when they would say, you know what, before I hurt somebody, I'm just going to go ahead and leave the house. And I just got so. that vibe off. I really, I really got that vibe off of him. And he was throwing little hints. And we knew eventually yeah, what really happened was going to come to light. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say this. The closeness of their relationship, meaning Magic and Jeannie Buss, being a married man of 20 years, I'm going to tell you now, Cookie's not with that. She ain't with that, right? I believe Magic Johnson did Jeannie Buss a favor because that organization was in disarray. He was already the ambassador to the Dodgers who were going to back the back the back World Series. He was already raking in money. His businesses were doing well. He was out speaking. He was the ambassador for the NBA going to games at Madison Square Garden here at the United Center all over the National Basketball Association talking to players, creating relationships. They needed him to be a part of the team to draw LeBron. That's just my opinion. Whether or not they needed him, in actuality, they wanted him to be a part of that package Mm -hmm. because they felt like it would give them a better chance. He did them a favor. Did they really think that he was going to stop making his money to come sit in the office every day? Like, this is something you discuss. Magic Johnson is smart enough to say, Jeannie, I'll do this, but you know I'm not about to stop what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm making way too much money. My businesses are booming, and I'm still with the Dodgers. So I can't come sit. This has been discussed before you even gave him the position. So you're not about to make me believe that all of a sudden he was just skipping out on something he committed to. No, he was always a figurehead in my, in my, yeah. in my belief, especially when you find out that Palinka was given to him. It wasn't somebody that he hired. Palinka came with the hiring. He knew going in, Rob Palinka is going to be your GM, which is like a whole nother issue, a can of worms, because now you start opening up the Kobe angle and his influence within the organization and how close he is with Jeannie Buss. So when this story broke, I said to myself, now I get it. I get why he did it impromptu. I get why he never said anything to Jeannie Buss because he had an issue with Jeannie and the way she handled the situation. And before he said something damaging that would damage what was already a frayed organization, the way it was being run and the way things were being dealt with, even more before he destroyed the relationship, the lifelong relationship, 
And it would hurt him to do that to Dr. Jerry Buss's children. I think it really would because of the relationship he had with Dr. Jerry yeah. Buss. I think he just chose to say, you know what? I made up my mind coming back on this team plane last night. Here you go. Press conference. You know, magic. You should have known he was going to keep running his mouth. So I'm not shocked he held court as long as he did. But I totally get why he did what he did. And knowing, I'll, I'll go a step further. I'm going to step out on limb and say LeBron knew. Reportedly, he had a meeting with LeBron and Clutch Sports that Saturday. I would venture to say they knew. Or he gave them some type of hint. He said he didn't give anybody a hint. I think he did. So my initial, like, theory about this, when it first came out, and I don't know who I discussed this with. It might have been y'all. I don't know. I know I told somebody. But I was like, you know, I think Rob Palenka was trying to stab Magic in the back. Magic found out about it, and he dipped. And, you know, the story about the emails coming out and him getting CC'd on it basically confirmed that. Now, we don't know what the context of those emails were, but, you know, we do know that Jeannie Buzz didn't stick up for Magic, you know what I'm saying? And and, and he took issue with that, and, and, and he rolled out. Because, like you said, you know, he already got his businesses. He already got bread. You know, this dude is on his way to becoming a billionaire, so, you know, he ain't necessarily worried about business. Ain't nothing to him. Um, but I think, you know, and to the LeBron point, yeah, definitely, I think LeBron knew. I think, you know, for Magic to even do something like that, you got to tell LeBron. You know, you got to let him know beforehand. Um, I don't necessarily think Jenny Buss didn't know. I don't think she didn't. I mean, I mean, I don't think she knew that he was going to do it like he did. But, you know, the fact that, you know, that in the immediate aftermath, you know, aftermath before we find out all the behind-the-scenes stuff about the emails, that she didn't really trip out about it. She kind of knew what was going on. But I think, you know, the bigger picture here and the bigger story is just the disarray of the Lakers, man. You know, it's just showing, like, you know, how this organization has essentially fallen from grace. I mean, Magic quit. You know, you get rid of Luke Walton. And, you know, even though he got this situation going on, you know, now that he's in Sacramento, it's just it's just a bad look for, you know, for a shining organization. And, you know, like I said, you know, she's – the Pagniachi girl from any given Sunday, man. Like, that's just what Jeannie Buss is. And that's just, you know, that's the dysfunction that we see running in this franchise now. And I'm okay with Magic walking away from that, you know, it's, especially now that we know about the emails. Like I said, we don't know the context, but we can kind of draw our own conclusions from that based on the actions that he took. And, you know, like I said, it's just, it's just a huge indictment on the Lakers organization. And it's just, it just speaks to a bigger issue of how the NBA has changed now where franchises, they don't really mean as much anymore. You know, I mean, they still, you know, they still have their luster and their, and their glow, but guys aren't driven by that anymore. And these, you know, these organizations and these front office people, they need to understand that and start redeveloping their strategy. So they don't get caught in the situation where you got to, kind of rely on a legend to kind of like bridge that gap. You know, you got to revamp your business model a little bit. And so the magic situation, I'm not really mad at him for it. And I just think it's just a pattern of this bad management 
from the Lakers that you know that we've seen since Jerry Buss died. Yeah, it's um, messy, and it's not it's not um, a good look. No, I mean with Jerry West across the hallway, that and going in the direction free, going, going into free agency. Oh, I man. mean, if you're a free agent and you're looking at this situation, it's like, all right, well, LeBron's not enough. Yeah, LeBron's not enough. Who like do you really want to go and you know play for a guy that's going to be handpicked almost for LeBron for these last three three years? You're going into a situation where you know. Your GM, you know, it's kind of outed. You know, Magic. I mean, all of it's just bad, and I don't even know what if Magic will have like steal that ambassador type role to LA. Like, what kind of conversation, you know, can you have um, with any of these top tier free agents this summer? Right. Like, hey, what's what's going on over there? Like, how do you explain yourself when you're trying to get guys over there? And then you look at the Clippers, what they're doing. Every superstar, like. If you do want to play on the West Coast, you're looking at the Lakers situation, you're looking at the Clippers situation, you're like, hey, I have a, a team full of hungry guys that I know each night what I'm going to get out of them from. I know I can kind of push them a little bit over the top. And then you look at the Lakers situation, you just look at all the extra stuff that comes with being on that team and being in that organization. You're like, I really don't know if I want to deal with that headache you know, for the next four or five years of my life when everything could be gravy over here. I know what I'm getting. I have yeah. Doc already cemented as coach. I have one of the top basketball executives in Jerry West making decisions. I mean, if you're the Lakers, you got to – you call Jerry West, hey, what – What do hey, you need? Here's a blank check. Him? Like, right, <laughs> right your number, right your number over there. I, I heard about the Pat Riley thing too, and I think that would, that would help. But I don't know if um, – like, just – Pat Pat is going to institute his culture there, yeah, and I true. don't know if that culture like would fit with LA now, just from you know what has become you know since he's left. But yeah, I mean the Lakers situation is it looks bad. I mean, and then you have you know you have this guy there who yeah now something else that you know what in talking about this the same interview that Rick Rick Buecher did on FS1 I don't even think that was the worst thing he said. He went on to talk about the hierarchy in that organization mm -hmm. post-Magic leaving. He said on the bottom was Rob Palenka. He said above Rob Palenka was Linda Rambis and Kurt Rambis. Okay. He didn't just say Kurt Rambis. He, said, he Rambis. said Linda Rambis and Kurt Rambis. He said Linda Rambis is the number one confidant and best friend of Jeannie, Jeannie Buss. Buss. That's what we're doing? This, this is an NBA <laughs> franchise, right? I thought, man, and then we found out that Kurt Rambis and Polinka are the ones doing the interviews of the, of the coaches, Tyron Lue, Monty Williams, Jason Kidd recently. Dude, this this is just not a good look. And there is no way Dr. Buss, if he was here alive today, would be pleased with the way things are going on. Man, this is, this is crazy how, crazy. you know, it's, it's basically bizarre world out here, man, where. The Lakers are the bad squad, and the Clippers are the team that everybody yeah. might want to play for. Right. I mean, it's going to be an interesting summer because, I mean, whoever, say if you bury Monty there, if you get Jason Kidd there, it's – I mean, I don't know. At first, I always thought the prospect when LeBron went there, I was like, okay, cool, you know. The summer after that, you know, 
you might get another guy there or, you know, during the season, if something crazy happens, you'll get a guy there. Looking at this situation now, if I'm one of those top tier free agents, I don't want to go to that team. No, at all. not at all. If you got to deal with, uh, because not only are you dealing with, you know, the on-court stuff, when you have to address situations that has nothing really to do with your job at all, like it's just a, it's just a shit show. So I wouldn't, that's not an appealing situation to me anymore. They yeah, are, I've already like two quick things. Two quick things before we go. BC's got to get out of here. BC, on episode four, you pretty much predicted that Igor <laughs> would lose his job in Phoenix, sure did, yeah. and I want you to talk about that. They seem to be hot on the trail of Monty Williams. And then before you let you go, I'm gonna have you guys guess the top five. They released the top five selling jerseys in the NBA. So Phoenix Suns. Monty Williams, good fit. Is he a good coach, or is he just like a, a, a empathetic figure because of what he's went through, gone through? You know what, man? I don't, I don't know if the empathetic figure thing really got much to do with it. You know, even though the situation with his wife was tragic, I think he's basically riding off being, you know, riding the wave of being on that pop coaching tree. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you know, pop has basically established himself as one of the best coaches in the you know in NBA history and so you know and we always got these conversations about coaching trees and things like that so you know Monty being you know coming out of that system is obviously a good thing to have on your resume and then you know you go to New Orleans and you know you coach down there and you know you win with Anthony Davis you make it to the playoffs and things like that all that stuff looks good as far as him being a good coach I don't know man I don't necessarily think he's a a great coach but I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he's an okay coach, you know, especially, you know, if he has talent. And Phoenix has a lot of talent. It's a lot of young talent. But, again, you know, we talk about dysfunctional organizations. You know, you fire a guy after one year. I don't even know how many coaches this is in the past however many years. Uh, but I know I Devin. Five and five, five, and five years, yeah. yeah. Five coaches in five years. And Devin Booker's been in the league, what, five years? And yep. he's played five different coaches? Yep at least four. So, you know, you already on, you know, on a Jamal Crawford situation right there. You know what I'm saying? We're just playing for a bunch of different dudes. So I just hope whoever they get is going to be a stable guy that they can keep around for at least five or six years because, you know, Devin Book is, what, 20, 21 years old? You know, know, you're getting into those years where he's going to be at the top of his game. So, you know, whoever this next guy is that, you know, is coming in, you want him to be able to kind of, Take a guy like that and, you know, DeAndre Aiden and whoever else they draft and, you know, take those guys and get them to the next level. So I don't know how good Monty Williams is as a as a player development guy. I know he's a good manager of, you know, personalities and people, and that's cool. But, you know, when you have a young team like Phoenix, you know, you need to get some development. You need to be able to take those guys mm-hmm. to the next level in their game. Yeah. And, you know, everybody that you're working with is going to be young. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you don't have a whole lot of veteran leadership and you don't have a very steep learning curve. Like now, you know, Devin Booker is on year four or five. He's trying to win now. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, this guy is is going for, you know, the big bucks and all of that stuff comes with wins and losses. So, you know, it's it's a very dysfunctional situation of Phoenix. So I hope whoever the next guy is, whether it be Tyrone Lue or, you know, Monty Williams, whoever it is, you know, just stick around for a while and help these guys develop and, you know, see what they can become.
if you're a coach and you're interviewing, which one of these front offices would you want to avoid the most? Phoenix. Phoenix? Yeah. Over I, the Lakers? Oh, yeah, easily. I mean, and, and that's just because, I mean, with the, the L.A. situation, you know what? You have LeBron there. That's some stability um, right there. And then, you know, you just look at the track record as far as, like, just coaching goals and them kind of kind of standing, standing behind. You know, especially if you go to L.A., you know you're going to get a nice contract, first of all. You can't say the same with Phoenix. If you just look at the history, like, of Phoenix paying coaches, yeah. I think they're probably, like, the bottom half of the league in terms of what they paid their coaches just over the last 20 years. So, And you just look at the roster turnover, the, the coaching turnover, like, everything is in disarray. With Phoenix, I mean, and when you have a talent like a Devin Booker and now a DeAndre Aiden, you know, you you bring a guy in now because you have this franchise cornerstone in Aiden. Now you fire him after one season. When you publicly stood behind him, right. you know, during the season, you know, it kind of it's like if you're if you're a coach just looking for your first head coaching job, Phoenix, of course. But I mean, if you're somebody like Amani Williams, with you know, coming from that pop tree and you know, being, um, you know, having um, Miss Benson in New Orleans as an owner and now being with Philly, when you've kind of had structure, do you really want to go to a situation like Phoenix to where everything, you know, it's nothing really set in place there at all? It's almost like a, you know, how long they've been in, you know, existence, almost like a, a startup. You know, that's how they're kind of treating things. There's a lot of turnover. Yeah. You know, they'll say one thing and they'll do um, the next you know, I just don't know what the the goal there in Phoenix is. Yeah. So, yeah. right quick, the Lakers and LeBron have supplanted Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors as the number one jersey sold and the number one team apparel. Mm -hmm. Second, now I want you guys to tell me if this shocks you. Second, Giannis. Third, Kyrie. Fourth, Joel Embiid. And fifth. Wait, no, is it no, first No, no, I'll take that back. First LeBron, Steph. Giannis was second, Kyrie was third. Steph uh, wasn't second? You're right. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm tripping. Steph yeah. was second, Giannis was third, Kyrie was fourth, and Joel and B came in fifth. Joel was fifth. Wow. Yes. What does it say that what the best what does it say that the best player in the league can't even crack the top five of jersey sales? For me, man, it just says that what I've always been saying, it's not necessarily about what a guy is doing on the court. It's about who got the best narrative, who got the best story, mm -hmm. because that's what the fans are paying attention to. Yeah. Who, who, you know, who are they talking about the most? And whoever the, you know, whoever the guys get the most, in, you know, in the newspaper or, you know, get the most traffic on the blog or talked about the most on the TV, is the guy that's going to sell the most jerseys. That's how it works. And so, you know, LeBron going to the Lakers is going to be a huge, you know, I mean, a huge moneymaker. You know what I'm saying? But both the jerseys and ticket sales. I mean, the Lakers didn't miss a beat this year. You know, whatever they lost in the last couple years, they probably made half of that back, you know, to get LeBron, you know, both in, you know, apparel sales and ticket sales and, you know, whatever else. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, that drives, you know, that drives revenue and drives sales is, is the things that people are talking about. So you can actually manufacture this stuff, man. So it, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that, you know, LeBron is number one. But, you know, even though he probably wasn't, you know, he definitely wasn't the best player in the league this year, 
you know, by far, you know, Giannis was. But even at that, doesn't even matter, man. It, it, it just shows that you know the 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 basketball fan, the consumer, yeah. is more, you know, that they're, they're paying more attention to what the media is telling them as opposed to what's going on on the court. Yeah, you mentioned Giannis. In my mind, I was thinking like KD can't even crack yeah, the top KD, five. James Harden. And, and that's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to, like, yeah, you can package this. And I think the guys in the top five are all guys that are personalities. Maybe except for Kyrie, who's more of a recluse than the other guys. Even with Giannis. Yeah, I mean, even with Giannis. Giannis t- but he's still even a personality on the court. He is, but, like, he he's a guy that, you know, Off is not, seeking, oh, yeah. not yeah. seeking media not seeking attention, attention at all. I mean, yeah, so. finally signed Look, a deal man, with Nike. Yeah, if they ran if they ran news packages and 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 people wrote about Giannis every single day, even if he stayed out of the spotlight, if he was nonstop coverage, he would he would be the number one you know jersey seller regardless, and he wouldn't have to say a word. Yeah, because like true. I said, the, the you know the players don't their activities on the court and what they do doesn't drive anything anymore. You know because the you know the average fan, like I said all the time, you know the average fan is pretty much dumbed down to the point where you know. They don't. They don't really understand what it is they're watching. They just know what it is they're being told. So, like I said, you can manufacture. Write about Derrick Rose every day for six months, and I'm guaranteeing we have the number one selling jersey in the league. This is how it works. Yeah. D Wade in his last year came in at number eleven. It's a pretty good way to go out. Yeah. 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 As far as teams, it was Lakers, Golden State, Boston, Philly, Milwaukee. Top five. BC. No Bulls. No bulls, man. <laughs> For what? <laughs> what jersey? What jersey would you wear? Like, think about playing right now. Advocate, man. If somebody told you you got a free jersey coming, what bulls jersey would you put oh, on? I want the city edition. Give me, give me. Uh, but who? Nah, give, give me, me give me. You know what? Give me a marketing. Give me Shaq Harrison, man. <laughs> I'm walking around the city with you a Shaq take the, Harrison. You want the traditional home jersey or the road jersey? You want the city nah, jersey? I want I want the city, city, nah, I want the city. Nah, I want the city. You know what? I don't even want the jersey. Just give me the shorts, man. <laughs> Those shorts. I ain't wearing none of these dudes. Right. I ain't wearing none of these dudes' names, man. Let me just rock the shorts, and I'm good. I find my own t-shirt. Shorts over shirts. There you go. A2S, A2S Network. According to sources, I am SD2 Mikes, Chris Casey, C4 Dunk, my guy, Mr. Croft, 4DB underscore Croft Ford on Twitter. Welcome back. I got my boy back on Twitter, C4. I know, I saw the Agitator. And I saw the follow. I was like, what the <laughs> hell? What is this? <laughs> Y'all know me, man. I can't, I can't stay away from too long. <laughs> yo, yo. And it's playoff time. Exactly. Did you, huh? happen to, did you happen to see the chicken beef on Twitter today? Oh, I did. I oh, you caught that? Feet. Man, I logged in. I was like, what the hell are these two dudes? I, like, click one of the threads. I was like, these two dudes are arguing about chicken. Man, I know I know both of them people. I, I ain't got laughing. nothing to say about that laughing. conversation. All I say is the funny, funniest thing in that thread when, when he called him an Uncle Remus, dude. Man, that, hey, I was done. <laughs> I was done. I was like, you know what? He's being nice. <laughs> oh, man, A2S, we'll be back. You're listening to According to Sources with BCSD and C4. Right here on A2S Network. Welcome back, according to sources, A2S Network. Once again, go check out the archive podcast 
You can find that on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Type in A2S Network or according to sources, they'll pop up. We're about to get into our little editorial piece, the way we close out each and every podcast. And this one, we saw something that we talked about when we talked about the playoff matchups in the first segment of this podcast. And we saw a matchup, in my opinion, that was as Damian Lillard said post-game with Stephanie Reddy on the TNT podcast, like sometimes you just have to fight through because sometimes it's your, it's your time to go through it. And he said last year was my time to go through it with what Drew Holiday did to me. And, man, I guess right now the way everybody's feeling and all the vitriol being thrown at Russell Westbrook from a lot of different angles and a lot of different topics and subjects, I guess this is his storm to go through. This offseason, after being lauded for three straight years for triple-doubles, averaging triple-doubles and getting that MVP and pretty much holding that organization above water after KD left, watching him sit there post-game on the bench, I really felt for him because I really felt like the way they were playing in the first half of the season, he felt that, yeah, this is the year that I maybe make it back to the Western Conference Final that can truly contend and maybe run up against Golden State, take a game or two, because we all said, even with Boogie, mm-hmm. without Boogie, they were formidable. But with Boogie, it was like a foregone conclusion that they yeah. were three-peat. But this matchup, to me, was the story of the first round. The response after getting spanked the first two games, the response from Russ in game three, and then for him to come out hot in game four, and then Dame just took over, and Portland went ahead and blew them out game four to the 3-1 lead. And then you go home in that game five, and Russ and PG just spearheaded that team. And being up 15 points with eight minutes left, and then being up eight points with three minutes left, and for them to relinquish that lead and ultimately go down on that game-winning three-pointer from 30 feet. Matter of fact, 37 feet by Dame Dollar. I don't think I've ever seen a more crushing. What Dame went through, Dame was just broke. Like, he couldn't make a shot against New Orleans. They were Drew Holiday was playing great defense. Mm-hmm. That's what he's known for. He did a great job. Rondo was a great floor leader for that team. Anthony Davis balled out. So you understood what was happening in that series. With this series, it was like, man, I just – didn't see it going down like that. I thought this would probably be the most intriguing and one of the six or seven game series in the first round. And what we saw, in my opinion, was the start of a rivalry that had kind of been brewing. The undertones were there, but Dame had always played really well against OKC and nobody really talked about it mm-hmm. until this series. And you spoke on that C4. But now the light has been shined on not only Russell Westbrook, but that entire Oklahoma City Thunder organization. We know about the post-game next questions. We know about the situation with Barry Trammell. It's been talked about. And you might want to touch on it, whether or not Russ has the right to feel the way he feels and to ignore, you know, a beat reporter. Or based upon his contract, is he responsible and does he have to be accountable to go ahead and be professional and answer questions, especially about basketball? But the one thing that stands out with me 
if you're going to build around Russell Westbrook, you can't have other long athletic players next to him. That's not going to work. It's just not. If you don't have spot-up shooters and guys that can open up lanes, and for some reason the last year and a half, Russ was known for finishing at the rim. I've seen Russ miss so many layups that he normally would make. And in my mind, I'm like, is he injured? Is he is it something that's different with his body where he's not able to finish? Is his elevation not the same? Are we seeing him get old? We know he's had multiple uh, procedures yeah, on his knees. Knee so it's like, is that starting to catch up with him? I feel bad for him, man. I feel bad because, as, as we talked about before the podcast, this is a guy that, look, I love to watch this guy play because mm-hmm. I know he's one of the few people that when I buy a ticket, I know I'm going to get my money's worth. Yeah. And in this day and age in the NBA, that's very rare. Maybe you can feel that way about four guys in the NBA. I think Dame is going to give me everything. I think Russ is going to give me everything. A healthy LeBron is probably going to give me everything. I might throw Steph in there. But other than that, KD is likely just a Zone out for a game if you buy a ticket. But that with that situation, like I said, I think more needs to be said about Sam Presti. And I know you've spoken with some people that might not be in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City right now, but have covered that team previously. Mm-hmm. And what did they say? We had, as I, I spoke to you all, we had Brian Wheeler the voice of the Portland Trailblazers yeah. on. And he said he spoke to the other broadcasters, his counterparts in that series, and they pretty much echo what you were talking about, and I'm sure you're going to touch on it now. There's no one in that organization from a broadcast standpoint or that covers a team that has a good relationship with this guy. And that's just not a good look for the face of a franchise. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I really don't – I mean, I look at – player side. So when I look at a guy like Russell Westbrook, who's probably been, you know, outside of LeBron, probably the most criticized player like in the league for, you know, the last, I mean, the last 10 years, at least. I mean, the only time I'll say he wasn't really criticized as much as he had was, you know, after Katie left and, you know, everybody felt sympathy for him just the way Katie left and, you know, kind of how Russ was blindsided by that. And then Russ went, responded with, you know, the first season of averaging the triple-double is the MVP. Like, the things written about him that season was probably the first time in his career that he had received, like, consistent positive press mm-hmm. because everybody felt, you know, you know, some sympathy for him. Yeah, and even the 2020 at the end of the season, yeah. the passing of Nipsey, Nipsey. that performance, it was yeah. like it was just a setup, mm-hmm. even going in the motivation, for that to be motivation, for to have a great showing in the playoffs, and the rug was just pulled out from under him. Yeah, I mean, so when we talk about just uh, how things have been run in OKC, just speaking with fellow writers and people that covered that team, I mean, they – really don't have a great relationship with Russ. And I wonder, you know, maybe a lot of that is probably from, you know, him taking 
things personally that's been written about him, his game, you know, the the ball hog label, the decision making, all that stuff. And this is right to to feel that way, but I think as, you know, he's a professional, then it is at the end of the day and the whole next question thing, that was a little bit that's on the organization to help, you know, squash that issue because it does looks bad organizationally. It says if this player they're scared of this one particular guy. Yeah. And the thing I'm like most upset about with Russ is, you know, not only are you a professional, you're a role model, you're a brand spokesman for, you know, Brand Jordan, you're a father, you know, first and foremost before anything. So, you know, you're also a reflection of, you know, your parents. And I know Russ is Huge, like huge family. Pe- yeah, huge, huge family guy. Yeah, you know, and you know, just some of the stories I've heard about, you know, his mom and his pops. You know, I, I just wonder, like, when you do things like that, the next question, the brace of attitude. That's not a reflection of the values they instilled in him. You know, maybe that's a way to protect himself from, you know, saying something. You know, that'd probably be detrimental to it. But the next question thing, you know, I'm not fan of that just because especially during the playoffs all eyes on you all yeah. eyes on those press conferences I mean and we live in an age now where just 15 seconds of those next question that's influencing the next generation you know who's coming up and I'm pretty sure like in the moment he's not looking at it like that I mean whatever the personal beef he has with that one reporter I think that's a you know Russell be 31 in November that's, that's a conversation you have to have man to man, you know, whether it's personal and you can get past it, you know, or whatever the case is, like while you in between those lines, you don't have to speak to him outside of work, but you do have to see this guy on a day to day basis. And it's been like that for who knows how many years now. And then the organization has created and a culture exactly, for it to continue to grow. Exactly. And it gets so worse. Imagine right trying in front to of our eyes. do your job. Yeah. Imagine how like taxing that is for not only the reporter, but for Russ, because just from what I've heard about Russ from people who are close to him, haven't talked to him before about things outside and, and of you, basketball. Know, talk about, you've rubbed shoulders, shoulders with Russell Westbrook yeah. in other settings and other things outside I mean, of basketball. Engaging, great. I mean, just the impact he has like on kids. And I think, you know, some of the kids are, you know, I don't think they, they pay attention to like the younger kids. I don't think they pay attention to the interviews and things like that. But just seeing all the stuff Russ does for the community there in Oklahoma City and, you know, just how outgoing he is about, you know, other efforts that he has, you know, all of that is still, you know, you can't separate really yourself with how you're being to the basketball media how you being, you know, outside of that. So I always wonder, like, why is he, he's very cut, he's short and dry with, you know, the basketball media. And I don't know, I think a lot of it has to do with the criticism he's had I, to deal I, with for the first I 10 know years with Barry Trammell, it goes back initially to that whole free throw thing mm-hmm. about five, six years ago. And, and I want to ask you about this because Barry Trammell was very insistent on – continuing that line of questioning when Russ was telling him 
I'm not talking about that. Being in locker rooms as long as you have been, is there a sense of entitlement that the media has knowing how important the image of the NBA is, not only to the individual organizations, but to Adam Silver and the brand itself and the league itself. Is there a sense of entitlement where they feel like these players have to answer them? Because I've, I've been in locker rooms here in Chicago and seen players not rock with certain sects of the media. Like, no, I don't, I don't rock with those guys right there. So I think that has always existed. There are certain oh, guys yeah. that just won't get along with certain beat reporters yeah. or certain reporters, and I, mean, I don't have a problem with yeah, that. Yeah, it's human nature, too. It's, I mean, absolutely. not everybody's going to get along. But, you know, we always talk about athletes being entitled. Mm-hmm. And I hearken back to, I believe it was after, it might have been after the closeout game, but after one of those NBA Finals games where LeBron James just stood, out, stood up and walked out mm-hmm. on a question because he was just like, Yo, you ask the question, and then you try to ask it a different way. And it's like, man, do you really think I'm that dumb that you can just, you know? And for me, sometimes I ask myself, do we give a pass to the media? You know, can they be abrasive in their line of questioning and continue in the line of questioning when they see a player really doesn't want to talk about it or really doesn't want to answer Mm -hmm. the subject matter that they're trying to get to? For whatever reason, maybe they're not trying to throw one of their teammates under the bus. Maybe they're not trying to throw somebody else in the organization under the bus. Maybe they're trying to be a good leader mm-hmm. in that situation. But for whatever reason it is, you know, how is there entitlement on the other side when oh, it comes abs- to the media? Absolutely. I mean, and that's just coming from, you know, guys who, you know, particularly cover like uh a team for a very long time. I mean, at the end of the day, the writer is always going to be there longer than the player. So, I mean, there is some sense of entitlement there. But I think everything, there has to be respect, uh, first and foremost, uh, with any working relationship. So uh, I, I understand the player side. I mean, if, if you're seeing, like, one particular writer and it's always negative about you. It's always critical. Yeah. And this guy has never said and talked with you or, you know, got a chance to know who you are. Yeah. Then I can understand why you would have, you know, some trepidation about talking to him or, you know, not giving him, you know, the proper respect in terms of, like, answering his questions or giving, you know, a detailed answer to him. But it works both ways, I think, it's just it's all about respect. So, I mean, with the guy Barry Trammell, I think he wrote something about, you know, trying to initiate a conversation with Russell, with the Thunder organization. I mean, and I don't I'm not sure if he's tried to approach Russell just one on one and be like, hey, you know, let's like, tell me what the he might know what the issue is. Right. But I mean, it's like, hey, like, tell me what your problem with me is and you know let's find a way to you know get past that because we have to see each other have to could you imagine seven seven months throughout the year you have to see this guy almost on a day daily a daily basis and you know 
for you guys to like for one guy to just absolutely like just despise you you're not really getting your work done and in writing that in just the videos is making the image of this player look bad and this player's like from what I know and from what I've heard and seen it's a really nice guy I just don't know what the the persona is when you know it's the basketball media but I do believe that just how criticized Westbrook has been. You got to look at his upbringing too. I mean, and just his basketball journey. This wasn't like a highly touted guy, you know, coming up in high school, throughout the high school ranks. I mean, you look at the story and how he was even, how he even got to UCLA. Chip on his shoulder. Yeah, I mean. Chip on his shoulder. Yeah, so to have to deal with like the national media now criticizing everything that he does for so a majority, basically all of his professional career, like yeah, that I can understand that, but I think he has to know that at some point he had he has to mature. Yeah, beyond that being his 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 reason. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think that just that part of what fuels him. But yeah. I mean, I think as he, like I said, he'll be thirty one November. Yeah, and which is why I asked the question when I watch him play, because he's still explosive and because how hard he plays. Do we really forget, like, he does play hard. Mm-hmm. And playing that hard takes a toll. Well, yeah, I was even, yeah, even looking past the, the actual what he does for a living, I'm looking at just what do you want, you know, your your legacy to be now? I mean, do you want to just be known as this? You can't, do you want to go through your entire career just being abrasive to media Especially the last the last few years of your career, yeah. I looked watched some of the you know the exit interviews uh, today with him. I mean, and completely different Westbrook from what I've seen when you know a scrum of reporters have been around. It's like that's not that hard to do, and yeah. just providing some insight. Well, we saw it when he got his new contract after KD left mm-hmm. that press conference. Yeah. He was an empathetic figure. Yeah, after KD left. Everybody was pulling for Russ mm-hmm. because of the way they thought KD left him, you know, hanging mm-hmm. high and dry. But now he's turned into like the goat and not the good goat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I beg to ask this question Is this summer and this offseason more important than the offseason after KD left? Is this the biggest off season for him in his career? And who and I guess in who he can evolve to be and what legacy he can establish moving forward. Like is this the biggest off season for him because you would think the biggest off season was, you know, him getting himself together and rallying the troops after KD left to say no, I'm not going to let this organization go down to the NBA lottery. Mm-hmm. But for him personally, forget the organization. I'm talking about him, the man. This just might be the most important offseason for him to reflect, to take time away. He was in the midst of the season when he lost Nipsey to actually now go home and allow it to really hit him. Like, yo, my man's is gone. Like, he's really, I don't have a practice to go to to kind of shield me from it to keep me from, like, feeling the full weight of the emotions. Mm -hmm. Didn't get a chance to go to the funeral and really allow my emotions to go through that process. 
this is an offseason that could really reshape him as a man. Well, yeah, I think what Russ is going to have to do this summer is be 100% honest with himself about who he is, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are, and what's the best course of action going to be for the totality of this team. I mean, we know what he brings and we know what he can do, but now when you know, do I need to relinquish, you know, some of this control now? Do I need to, you know, get cuz pretty much the Thunder like have Z- almost zero maneuverability in terms of like just contracts. Oh, dude, I thought yeah. the Jeremy Grant contract. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't like it. You know, because once again, if if Russ is going to be the guy you build around, you have to give him people that can shoot. The Schroeder trade, I thought was a steal. Yeah, I really did. I thought he, you know, he can move. He helped to move Russ to the two and gave him a lot of playmaking responsibilities, and he played well. Uh, Even Raymond Felton stepped up and had some good play when he got short minutes in the series. PG, dude, shoulders a shot. Yeah. That's a shot. And it's it's not going to get better. He got his money. We can get into a whole other subject, and we can touch on that. I definitely look at this situation and say, I see why PG didn't go to L.A. With that, he he knows his body. He knew what he could give. Just think if he was there and LeBron goes down and he has to carry that team. I don't think that's the situation, the pressure he wanted to be in mm-hmm. in his hometown and with that organization. But as you said, man, this is – I've never seen – I like Russ. Oh, I love I, 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 Man. Yeah, I just say he's going to – get like, I love yeah, Russ. I love Russ. And it hurts me. I literally have to stop myself from getting into arguments on social media when people really start going in and cracking jokes and it's like, yo, like these are the same jokes you all were cracking about Dane the same time last year. Mm-hmm. These are the exact same memes and jokes you all were cracking about Dane getting outplayed by Drew Holiday. So it's kind of like, yo, be cool. This is competition. You face up against somebody, they beat you, tip your cap. Tell them I'll be back next year. And I just think that's what Russ has to do. But like we said, Jeremy Grant, the the big contract they gave him, I didn't like it. I liked the Schroeder move. Billy Donovan, he had a full head of uh, black hair when he came to OKC now. He's looking like Father Christmas. It's that's coaching. That man, so many. They showed a a clip during Game Five of him on the bench when Cantor was on OKC, and he was telling everybody, "I can't play Cantor. Can't Can't play him." And And Cantor is just killing. Yeah, playing defense on the Stotts, who, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated Mm -hmm. coaches. Easily. Man, we've had some great coaching performances this year mm-hmm. across the NBA and we'll get in that the next podcast um, A2S of course follow us go listen to all of our archive podcasts you can find us on Spotify iTunes and SoundCloud type in according to sources and A2S network and we'll be right there you can also find us under the under the hood tree as I spoke before the interview I spoke about spoke about where Brian Willard voice of the trailblazers is 
Voice of the Trailblazers. That was with Jonathan Hood under the hood on ESPN 1000. Thanks for listening to us. We'll be right back at you. Also, we have a brand new podcast. We're going to be launching coming up in the next couple of weeks. So uh, stay connected to us for that. For my guy, Brian Crawford at Mr. Crawford D. And my guy, Chris Kaysen at C4 Dunk. I am Sean Davis, SD2 Mikes. We'll see you in a minute.